Let's pray. Generous God, you provide us with everything we need to live our lives in ways that are pleasing to you. Inspire us by these words, that they may come alive in us, so that we may honor you in word and deed, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Reading from the Old Testament, the book of the prophet Micah, chapter 6, I'm going to start with verse 6 and not verse 1. You'll recognize these words. Micah says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? God has told us, O people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Reading also some more familiar words from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. The theme for today's uh, message comes as the uh, previous few and the next few will do from the surveys and the themes that we uh, gathered out of those. Um, it is uh, that Riverside Presbyterian Church wants to be socially engaged without being intentionally partisan or take sides on issues. We stumbled a little bit in the class about what partisan means because we devolve into Republican and Democrat and it's, it's more than that, taking sides. Now that's easy for me to say and it was kind of easy to distill from your surveys and it's really hard to do. I don't know if you noticed this or not, um, but, but we live in discordant times. Anybody feel that? We live in times where we're not terribly kind to each other, right? So when we try to be socially engaged without being intentionally involved in these things, it's hard to do. Technology has really, really made it even more challenging because 
it promotes and provokes division among us. And civility, especially in politics, seems impossible. Yet, Christians, and that would be us here at Riverside Presbyterian Church, claim a very high calling. And our high calling is to live like Jesus, to be little Christ. That's what Christians means, to be little Christ in our world. And one of the things that we say about Jesus is that he was the prince of peace, of grace, of mercy. And as you have claimed as a congregation, more or less, that you want to be a movement for reconciliation. So it's a fairly high calling that you've claimed in a very, very challenging time. So I would like to suggest, and, and, and after starting this sermon about five or six times this week, I've ended up with this one because the time for preaching has come. Uh, I would like to suggest that the efforts to do these things need to begin within the life of the congregation. Challenging, but doable just the same. A little personal full disclosure. I am a happy moderate. I am perched on the fence on all kinds of issues. It, it kind of serves me in the work that I do because I have to deal with people on both sides and I'm just happy to be right in the middle. I was once an active Republican. My undergraduate training was in political science, economics, and business, and I was very active in party activities. And uh, now I'm a registered Democrat. Not because I've changed so much, but because the parties have kind of changed over the course of 50 years. Um, the only reason I'm registered as a Democrat is you have to be registered as something to vote in the primaries in Ohio where I vote and own a house and pay taxes, even though I don't spend much time there. I have more academic training in political science than in theology by a long stretch. Um, so I, I think I'm a little bit prepared to address this subject, which you brought up in your surveys. I didn't just create this thing, it came out of your surveys. My understanding and experience with Riverside Presbyterian Church is that this is a publicly progressive congregation. Um, to say that we're way skewed on the liberal side of things is not true, but, but publicly we, we put out that we are a progressive, open-minded, thinking kind of a place. And we have people all across the spectrum in our membership. While the congregation, the, the norm might be in one place, you all are not normal. You're all over the place. That's true of almost every church that I've served. What happens when a church kind of develops a perspective and an attitude is that the folks who don't necessarily share that perspective do one of two things. They either, they either kind of be quiet or they leave. Uh, now, every church has a perspective, so it doesn't matter where the church is. That, that happens in all churches. My challenge to you, coming out of your surveys, is that let's, let's not make anybody feel like they have to be quiet on issues, but rather create the kind of atmosphere 
where we can say this is where the church is kind of as a norm and we have people all over the place and we need to have rational debate about what that looks like. So my challenge is to figure out or to raise questions about how we can have a more thoughtful, open debate about matters all across the spectrum. Um, and, and some people say, can we just avoid it altogether? And my response to that is, um, no, we really can't because it's a part of our tradition to be involved. And the other thing is, maybe you didn't notice this, but there's, it's an election year and the season officially starts tomorrow. It's been going on since the last election, hasn't it? So we have an important role to play this year and to live up to the ideal that we express, the ideal of being a movement for reconciliation. Right, I have to cut out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, back to the beginning of what I said, it's, it's really a lot easier to say that than to do it. Uh, however, our history and our theology and our practice springs out of the Bible, and it says we must be involved. We can't simply bury our heads in the Florida sand and pretend like the world doesn't exist. That's not, that's not what we can do. Whenever we try to do that, we realize that we're in this community and we have to, we have to deal with that reality. And not only that, but the prophets, like Micah, he's not the only one, but the prophets and Jesus say, we stand for something. We stand for a long history and tradition of justice and peace and righteousness and grace and hospitality and all of those other things. So we can't pretend to be the church of Jesus Christ and not be engaged in what's happening around us socially. Micah sums it up, uh, Micah 6.8, which I'm sure is one of many of your favorite verses. Uh, it, it's a key verse for me because when I try to ask myself, what should I do? I, I go back. Am I doing justice? Am I, am I loving kindness? Am I walking humbly with God? It's kind of a key verse for us. And the Beatitudes, even though they turn our world upside down, they turn conventional wisdom upside down, it's a place for us to grab hold of who we are called to be and what we're called to do as disciples of Jesus. There's no simple answers. I'm not going to pretend there are. But it's a starting place for us to ask who are we and how are we living in this society and culture and are we representing our tradition and our, are we being little Christians in our world? So I think the first important point for us to, un to undertake is to understand who we are. We have to struggle with scripture. We have to understand our tradition and why we've come to the places that we've come. And, and uh, Matthew, or Micah and Matthew, the, the Beatitudes are pretty good summaries of those things. For me, I've, I've kind of summarized it using secular and, and religious terminology. Uh, I, I kind of describe my own position and is that my role and my goal is to seek liberty and justice with compassion for all people. Liberty and justice with compassion for all. That's how I describe my own perspective on things. We are anchored on our, by our core Christian commitment. Rock-solid theology and practice 
is at the center of our life to give together. And because we are who we are, we allow a lot of diversity and a lot of differences of opinion because we can have disagreements without being disagreeable. That, I think, is a goal for us. And it's really what you expressed in the surveys that you would hope we would be that kind of a place. Personally, I think one of the most important things about this uh, process is, is the humility part, walking humbly with God. Uh, I try to check myself that when I am the most convinced that I'm right about one thing or another, and, and I'm, I'm almost willing to, to go to the wall for it, or climb whatever hill I need to climb, and I'm so adamant that I'm right, I have to, I have to make one more statement. And that one more statement is, and I might be wrong. I need to allow an openness for my own imperfections and for the fact that somebody who appears to be diametrically opposed to me carries usually some measure of truth in what they have to say. So I have to shut up sometimes and listen to what other folks are saying. That is key, and I think Micah reminds us how important that is. So in, as, as the, the, the PNC was at the, the represented at the class we had at, at uh, 9.30, and uh, they read all of your surveys, and, and what, what we are saying to them and what they have heard from you is that it's important for folks who are going to be looking at becoming part of the leadership team here to recognize that while we are at a place on our political social spectrum, we are also very diverse. And that diversity needs to be respected. And there needs to be opportunities created for us to share openly and kindly and graciously with one another. I can't say whether that's been the case in the past here or not. Some of you could, but you don't, you'll have to say that in some other place. But I do sense that that is where we want to be moving ahead into our future. So I'm encouraging you to, to apply Micah's teaching to your own lives. Seek to be a blessing like Jesus. In order to stand on our ground firmly, we need to know ourselves, who we are, and what we believe. And then we need, in our own lives, to promise not to be hostile and ugly when we interface with people who don't see it our way. That doesn't mean that other people won't be hostile and ugly with you. They will, I assure you, they will. But what's that thing that Jesus says about loving our enemies and not hating them in return? I believe we need to have a better sense of civility in our social world. And I don't think anybody wants to disagree with that. And the deal is, as the song says, if I want peace in the world, that peace needs to begin with me. Yes. Yes, that's the challenge for us. Oh, man. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>